If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to Oh My Fraud, a true crime podcast where our criminals use laser pointers, not laser gun sights. I'm Greg Kite. And I'm Caleb Newquist. Uh, Caleb, before we get into the podcast proper, I just want to take this opportunity, as we have, to uh, read a listener review real quick. Okay. The user's, user's name is user underscore apps. And they said, my God, if you want someone who laughs at their own jokes and goes off topic more than someone with the ADD and laughs as is sounds like 10 people laughing, awful. Uh, they forgot about the free CPE, though. <laughs> right, yeah, right. I think that's the old, but I think that, uh, that they had a very comprehensive review, except that was the one oversight. Yeah, yeah. I mean... You are entitled to your opinion, user underscore APS. Yeah, it's a valid opinion. <laughs> sure. If you're, you're 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 entitled to your opinion, you're entitled to not reread your comment before you post it. It's all it's all good. Right. It's all fair game. If you like Oh My Fraud, at least as much as user underscore APS, take a minute to write us a review. Uh, but make sure that you mention that our laughing makes your ears bleed and that you get free CPE if you listen on the earmark app. Perfect. So Caleb, yes. to change subjects, to get us into our podcast yeah. for today, yeah. I wanted to ask you uh, about about other podcasts. Yes. And sp- specifically, like, are, have you met any other podcast hosts? And I'm not talking like, like I'm, I'm talking like a, like a, a, like ones that are in the 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 what the strata that's far above us, like uh, like super popular ones. Are there any that you've met, or any that you that you'd like really like to meet in real life? Um, I mean, it's pretty boring if I say no, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's but again, you know, I'm okay with user apps review. I'm also okay with you saying if there's if that just doesn't interest. No, you. I, will I think play it would this be game. interesting if that I did will, not interest. I will you. play this game. I, I've been listening to the podcast a long time. I mean, if I if I met Ira Glass, that would probably be pretty nerdy Ooh. and exciting. And so, yeah. but like, I don't even sense. know what I would say to Ira Glass. <laughs> right. But, right. you know, I, I just am a fan. I'd just be like, hey, I'm a fan, you know, just, you know, love what you do, whatever. Like when right. I, one of my favorite podcasts is, and Greg was actually the person who turned me on to it, is WTF with Mark Marin. Yeah. I've seen Marin do comedy many, many times. Uh, I, I, he does a great pot. I love his podcast. I know people have their, their beefs with his style, but I think he's great. I don't know about meeting him though, because <laughs> so, so you've never met him, even though you've been to tons of his shows, you know, I haven't, like, no, I haven't met he him. He doesn't do like a meet and greet. After no, the show he doesn't. He doesn't. Can... No. Uh-uh. Okay. Um, I haven't met him and I, I mean, well, it, yeah. Well, well, here's a, I, cause do you I have a Marin yeah, story. I, I don't know. I do. Cause oh, okay. I did. You did I got meet to him. meet him once. Oh, you did. Yeah. Oh, what's the story? Yeah. That's interesting. So, so he was, so he was, he did his show. He was just touring, did his show at Wise Guys. Uh-huh. Uh, it was actually the same Wise Guys that you were at before where we did that, yeah. that, uh, that fraud, uh, live, live fraud CPE at a comedy club a hundred years ago. Yeah. So it was that venue. 
Marin did his show. I was not on a show. I didn't open for him, but yep. j- but but one of the things that happens a lot of times is that if you get somebody like that who is, you know, just widely admired in the comedy community, yep. then everybody uh, all the local comedians show up and just kind of slink around the back of the of course. the room and watch watch the show and afterwards you're kind of going, "Hey, I, you know, I guess I'll hang out and see if I can meet him." And so I was one of those oh. uh, th- that was doing that. But no, but listen, it was the it I, like I bounced so quick, like after because after his show, yeah, he ends up being in the lobby of the club, and and I swear there's like ten or twelve of us just no name local comedians yep. who are also. It felt like we were sitting in this weird circle in the lobby of the comedy club and nobody was really talking that much. There was not lively conversation. It was just sitting around and I, and I was part of the problem too. I wasn't saying anything either because the problem I had is, is this is if you, if you meet someone in real life, whose podcast, because what his podcast is twice a week, right? It is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so I I had at that point I had listened to his biweekly podcast for years, right? And because of that, I realized it was impossible for me to think of a question to ask this guy that I didn't already know the fucking answer to. Oh, so yeah, how yeah, do you yeah, yeah. how do you chit chat with someone when you already know when you've never met him but you already know everything about him? Yeah. So that's a good. That point. was my. That's a, ni- nice guy. Don't have any complaints about him. Yeah. But I just it was weird to meet someone that you just knew so much about. Yeah. And and so so the whole reason we're talking about any of this at all is because on this episode, uh we we get to meet and we get to interview one of the forefathers of fraud podcasting, yeah. which really just means the guy who did a fraud podcast before us. Just That's a few all. years ago. Yeah. Exactly exactly. So, uh his name's Chris Marquet. Uh, he had a show uh, that was on the Voice America Radio Network. Uh, it's it's uh, like an online radio uh, thing. Uh, he did his podcast back in 2014, 2015. His, uh, you can actually still uh, access all of his podcast episodes, which I consumed all of them, loved all of them. You can still get them through Amazon. We'll try to put a link in the show notes to, uh, to, that, uh, to where you can find those. Um, he also published a, an annual report on embezzlement. Uh, and, and, and as we talked to him, we found out he also did an annual report on Ponzi schemes and a bunch of other white papers on lots of different topics related to fraud and white collar crimes and things like that. Uh, he, he's worked as a fraud investigator for 40 years and he was, he was just a wonderful guest. So a guy that I listened to on a podcast, a bunch that, that, uh, exceeded my expectation as a guest on our show. So without wasting any more time, uh, here is our lovely interview with Chris Marquet. Chris Marquet, so excited. As you know, I'm very excited to have you on our podcast. Thanks for thanks for being with us today. We're yeah, excited. I got a million questions I want to ask you. Absolutely, Caleb and Greg. It's an honor to be be with you guys. So so first off, just so that the listeners know, you are based just outside of Boston, uh, correct? That's right. Okay, perfect. And then would would you so real quick? I, I know, w- will you give us just a real quick kind of like your, not your CV, but just the high points. Like what are the, what are the different initials you have after your name? Cause you're like, you're a detective. That's like your main, your main gig, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I, right out of undergraduate school, I joined Kroll Associates, which uh, some, many, anybody in the fraud industry should know. 
is the big dog in the investigative world. And so this is back in 1983, right out of undergraduate school. I joined as an analyst associate and I spent, I stayed there for 20 years. But when I joined it, it was like 25, 20 odd, 25 employees, small shop, Jules Kroll, who uh, still a legend in the in, in the investigative fraud risk mitigation world, uh, ran ran the shop and was my mentor essentially. Um, and you know, I was like, oh, I got to go back to law school, or I got to go to B school, or something. And now he, he was telling you that, or you were just yeah, he's thinking telling that? Me, I, I'm saying I got to go back to school. I get, you know, if I want to go forward, you know, he's like, oh, no, Chris, you're, get, you're getting your MBA right here. You got your law. You know, I'm like, <laughs> all right, whatever. So I, I stayed there for 20 years and he threw me into all these different roles. Um, I mean, you know, I was an analyst um, and, a, and I run, you know, a writer uh, of reports and, and pulled stuff together and, and, uh, you know, did got involved in every kind of case you can imagine. Um, and at Kroll, it was a lot of international work too. Uh, Caleb, you had a question. I do. Yeah, I was curious. So was your was your was your undergrad studies? Was that criminal justice? Or how did you prepare? And how did you just go straight into Kroll? So I went to Dartmouth College up in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I had three majors. I had physics. I was a my family was a science math family. So mm. I, I was a physics major first. I finished that major by the end of my junior year. I but I didn't really want to be a scientist. So like my father and and my brother was a, a, a nuclear sub officer um, went to wow. the Naval Academy. But uh, so I, I studied economics. I was thinking, oh, business. Yeah, that's kind of mm -hmm. where I want. Mm -hmm. So I was. So I added economics as a double major, <laughs> and then I added philosophy as a third major because I wanted to go to on an overseas program in Scotland, which I did. So I did three majors. Nice. So one was a science, one was social science, one was a uh, humanities. And the philosophy piece actually was really interesting and helped me write because writing what I felt was my weakest strength because I was a science math guy, right? I was an analytical, analytical guy. Anyway, so I, I do that. And, um, and it's 1983. There's still a recession going, trying to get a job at any of the big consulting firms uh, in Boston and New York, uh, just not having a lot of success. Um, and went to New York uh, hardcore looking for a job. I got two, two different job offers. One was at this little tiny Kroll Associates consulting firm that sounded really interesting. And the other one was a, to be a, a bond trader at Brown Brothers Harriman uh, down on okay. Wall Street. Mm -hmm. like, okay, you know, that, you know. Uh, it's so boring. My wife likes to say, "Look, we would have had that house out in the Hamptons, you know, if we'd <laughs> right, done right. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. but it, but you would have been long gone. My third wife, you know, whatever, you know, right, right, right. You would have had to forfeit your, you had to forfeit your soul for that. Exactly. Anyway, so the the Kroll job was fascinating, um, and it really it just transformed. My dad's like. I sent you to Dartmouth. I went to Ivy League school to, to be a private investigator. I, anyway, so it. Uh, I don't really think of myself as a private investigator. You know, I'm I'm an information gatherer and, uh, that helps decision making in critical situations. So yes, I gather information all over the world. We do all kinds of very interesting things. Working a lot with lawyers, sadly. Um, but necessarily <laughs> yeah. love, hate, right. Um, yeah. they're my clients. They, they, some can be very, very difficult, but we get brought in into difficult circumstances, you know, frauds cases, you name it. Uh, so 
So it, it became a really interesting job. And Jules Kroll kept me doing different things. He had me running a unit. I did a political risk unit, a travel safety security unit. Again, I'm learning this stuff as I'm going. I, then I ran you know, the whole sort of, uh, we, we merged with a couple times and I was involved in a lot of that stuff. I went to Russia on, on the case, a big massive case that we worked on behalf of the Russian government after, Yel you know, Yeltsin took over. Gorbachev really? stepped down. And the job, wow. the project was finding hard currency assets outside of Russia that they wanted to try to repatriate to the country mm. to, to Russia because that that was the currency of the ruble is still worth it's nothing right it's useless yeah. so yeah. so the hard currencies that the that these Russian oligarchs even in the Soviet era had begun amassing were over you know offshore and they wanted to bring it back so that was a fascinating project that uh that I was involved in uh, and went to Russia uh, yeah. did to, to do that and did you find a bunch of stuff for them were they oh, able oh, yeah there was stuff so okay. i mean it was just bizarro world where you're, we would go so we pulled together a team we had ex kgb i'm sorry we had ex <laughs> we had our ex cia we had our ex mi6 mi5 MI we had our ex uh, mossad and shin bet and what you know french german intelligence folks very interesting group of people pulled together on our side and they had their sort of team that worked for the, we, we were actually working for the treasury uh, department for the Russian Federation. So it sounds and like, it sounds like yeah. that movie, the expendables, but just with nerds. Is yeah, that it was, what it, well, I mean, yeah. So you, so we would have these meetings in Moscow and we would have, they would be on one side of the table. We'd be on the other. And it was just, just a collective group of the ex, these ex spooks on, on our right. side. In their, in their case, yeah. And then we would report, yeah, we found this, uh, this uh, in Cyprus and this, pro, this prop real estate thing owned by this shell company over here in France, Southern France. And that, and the, the KGB, we know about that one. We know about that one. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's like, okay, great. Yeah. They, these guys knew about all of them. But, right, uh, right. But, it well, that was just, but just to save face, though, right? They just didn't want to. Yeah, I mean. Or do, or you, do know, you think they really knew about them already? Well, the, the intelligence guys knew about a lot oh, of okay. them. Okay. Uh, okay. So I think it was a matter of, yes, it is a matter of saving face. And it was a matter of sort of going through a drill because they would put it out, you know, in to the people they were trying look we're the soviet year is over we're moving toward you know to whatever democracy and new the new russian federation Boris yeltsin wanted to turn the page and um and show that they were actually doing something to you know help the country move forward so yeah so it was it, it, in some respects it was a pr kind of a thing but it was also I think a legitimate exercise, uh, right. but it was a fascinating thing that, uh, again, you know, I tra traveled all over the, the globe during those years and uh, really learned by doing. So that's that's how I kind of got into this whole space, and you know, I never left. So it's now it's now hard to believe forty years. Yeah, I start I started in nineteen eighty three, the summer of nineteen eighty three, after I graduated from college, and. Uh, Wow, I'm still doing this. Um, but it's fun. I mean, that's the thing. It's fun work. So to follow the to to follow the thread, so you started at Kroll and then you you started your own firm that was uh that was Marquet International. Was that what the name of your firm? Yeah, actually there was an interregnum. Uh, there was a um uh, 
a group of us left Crawl. We started a company called uh, CityGate Global Intelligence. It was owned by a British company. Or we we rolled out. We got acquired immediately by a British uh, company. They had a whole bunch of different companies. And that firm lasted about, I, th- I want to say, four years or so. Um, it was a bunch of ex crawlies and others that we pulled together. So it was a mini crawl. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, I, I told Jules, I said, look, I got to, I got to go do this. Just, you know, if I don't do this at now, I'm never going to do it, you know. And he understood. So we're still, Good. you know, friends today. But, yeah. Um, he didn't look like, didn't look happily about to some of the other folks who did this. You know, never burn your bridges, people, right? Mm, absolutely. <laughs> always, always keep that uh, line t- uh, going. And anyway, so it was a, it was a mini crawl. Um, and uh, I was, so I was one of the founders of that. That lasted about four years. The parent company blew up. Oh. And it put us in a very difficult position. We couldn't hold it together. We tried to do an MBO. That didn't work. So, uh, so then I worked for a year for Vance International Decision Strategies, uh, about a year or so for them uh, before I started Marquet International in 2000, at the beginning of 06, I think it was. Yeah. So Marquet okay. International was basically me as the, at the helm and the my little team and lots of people out in the field that I could pull in as I needed them. So that that that, that entity still that entity still exists. Okay. Um, although I use it really only as uh, sort of my personal vehicle, my personal corporate vehicle. My current business is called Veritas Assurance Partners. Very V E R I T A S as in truth. Assurance, A S S U R A N C E partners, and so I'm one of three partners in this this new newer enterprise. One of whom, and this is relevant, one of whom is a forensic accountant by training who I knew at back in the crawl days. Terrific guy named Billy Marlin. The other is a retired uh, full Bird Colonel Jag Corps, uh, oh. U.S. Army uh, fellow named Manny Supervale. Um, uh, who's down in Miami? Uh, so it's a really interesting group for the three between the three of us. And again, we're doing a lot of international work. We get brought into difficult projects, uh, and um, you know, depending on the project, you know, we've got the forensic accounting piece. We well, we've well, we have the capabilities in the computer forensics and what have you, and the traditional investigative stuff, et cetera, et cetera. So it's. We're a small boutique shop, uh, uh, nimble, uh, and uh, can move quickly. So we compete against the big boys and girls, I guess I should. So so, so here's my next question is like, e- even from some of the stuff you've already said, you're like going, I'm going to, I'm going to Moscow to do this international thing with these Russian oligarchs. I assume you've also been to like Johannesburg and probably Banff, Canada, just the sexiest places on <laughs> earth. And, uh, but, but. Because I've I've had I've had like you know every now and then the idea of becoming a fraud examiner because you know doing work similar crossed my mind because it seems super sexy but then I I've always wondered is like the day to day stuff just the most like is that does it does the sex appeal of being uh, Chris Marquet does that does that fall off when you actually are like just going through an endless pile of receipts trying to tie these out what what's the how se- yeah. i want to know how sexy is is your job how it's sexy not, is your life it's not so sexy 
<laughs> so, I mean, in the old days, yes. So I've been to Australia on work. I've been to Asia. I've been to Alaska. Uh, Banff? No. Yeah. Uh, I was there no, as a kid. No. Uh, <laughs> not in Banff, but... Um, and Joburg, I did. We had a big case out of the, uh, South Africa that, but we, I didn't, I wasn't part of that project uh, back in the Kroll days. So, in the old days, you would go to mm-hmm. these yeah. places, you know, and and uh, because there were the internet was nascent and the amount of information was not as available, so you would go. You'd have local folks that would support you, local investigators, ex RCMP up in Canada, whatever. Um, and, and you would pull it together there. I mean, I, you know, I'd go to Miami and do a bunch of interviews or whatever. Yet yeah, you have to do that kind of thing face to face. Less so these days where, you know, even the, in the forensic accounting, all the documents get dumped and sent. So you got a back office of uh, accounts that are cranking through stuff s- sitting somewhere else. They don't have to yeah. be on site. You you really do have to have people on uh, a complex fraud. It's better to have people on site that, can at least direct things, do some select interviews, make sure they're gathering the right documents and getting those to the people who are doing the analysis of those documents and that sort of thing. So it's less travel today than it once was. And yeah, in the nitty gritty of any given case is not so sexy because you really are, you're going through information, whatever, it's public records, it's real estate transactions, it's... Uh, you know, it, it, you know, it could be uh, whatever expense reports, it's simple stuff that you're looking at uh, and and pulling together for the client. So the travel, not as much as it once was. I mean, I literally one trip went around the globe, started in New York, San Francisco, L.A., Tokyo, Hong Kong, Singapore, uh, Sydney, right. up, back which, up. Which, again, sounds so sexy, but then after you get your first blood clot from sitting for that long, and then it's just, you know. <laughs> you got to move blood, around. You gotta a daily blood moving. thinner, just not gotta, sexy at all. You got to move around. <laughs> okay. Now we, so, now we, yeah, go ahead. Is, okay, so tying back, kind of going back into Caleb's question about, like, how do you get your, your business? I, I know, you, you know this, I know of you, you're, you're, I have admired you from afar for years because of your podcast called Fraud Talk, which, by the way, have you sued the ACFE for taking your title of your podcast? No. <laughs> okay, but then you also reported, <laughs> was it an annual, it was an annual report, the, the Marquet Report on Embezzlement, that was an annual report, right? Yeah, so I I start I wrote this white paper essentially uh, for I think six or seven or eight years in a row on embezzlement. I just called it the Marquet Report on Embezzlement, uh, and, and that was sort of a, lo- a labor of love. It was you know because I got involved in a lot of one of one of the specialties I think I have is employee misconduct, executive misconduct investigations. Okay, and that runs a, actually a fairly wide gamut. From harassment and abuse and assaults and physics, whatever, to stealing intellectual property to stealing actual money. So, looking at the money cases, the uh, the embezzlement cases, uh, I, I I thought, hey, you know, this is something we really haven't examined too closely, and nobody's ever really done that. So, I decided I'm going to sort of really try to dig deep into it. And try to figure out some things. You know, who are the perpetrators? Well, who are the victims? What are, what are the normal victims in these kinds of? What are the, you know, 
what are the characteristics of uh, the you know uh, how they do it or what are the messes that they use uh, how does it get found out uh, you know those kinds of analytical questions that have really never been delved into very deep so I took I would just take one year and say okay and I would identify the cases that that became public during that year of embe major embezzlements, anything over a hundred thousand. I didn't look at anything less because it would be too much. You die right. before right. you got which, them all. Which, which is crazy too, because based on the ACFE's report, their the report, their biannual report to the nations, I, I I don't have this locked in, but I'm pretty sure the median loss due to asset misappropriation, which is our embezzlement cases, is typically that the the median loss is typically under hundred thousand dollars for that. So if you're looking, so you're the cases you were looking at were not even half of the cases for the entire year. Oh yeah. So think of an iceberg, right? You got a little tiny bit showing. The big, the most of it's underwater. I mean, so yeah. you're not really seeing. Right, right. Fraud, hap fraud happens every day, right? You're never going to stop at all. It's uh, it's just a matter of how much you can tamp it down within a given organization. So underneath the water, you got everyday fraud. People are taking the pencils and the petty cash all, uh, every day, all day, right? That happens all the time. So then you work your way up to more sophisticated st stealing of things, monies. And um, to so, so I said, all right, well, let's look at these cases where really large amounts of large sums have been absconded from an organization and, and dig into that because obviously they went for a period of time and I can't, there's no way to really identify a lot of these little cases. Here, the other factor is that law enforcement typically, uh, the feds, if it's not a hundred, well, it used to be a hundred grand, it's probably like 250 now. If it's not that much, they don't care. So right. the, and then the state bar uh, bar level, then bar uh, for them, okay, that's lower than the Fed level, but it's still a level of you know if it's no, less than ten grand or twenty or twenty five, they they don't care because the amount of resources they got to pull and devote to get into it. So I'd say, all right, let's take the big cases and let's dig into them, which I did, and some very interesting things came out of that, which were. Uh, number one, that uh, women <laughs> were more often than not the ones doing the stealing. Um, yeah. But they also showed that more often than not, somebody in the fiduciary role, a bookkeeper, et cetera, was doing the taking. Um, so some of that might be explained that, you know, you a lot of women in the bookkeeping department, right? So so maybe that's part of that, what, what accounts for that. But then on the other side, men tended to steal a lot more than the women did so so if and if you're smart you'd start taking just little increments little bits you yeah know, every month or whatever and over time it adds up and you yeah. don't get caught over a long period of time <laughs> right but, uh but sometimes it collapses under its own weight like a, as in a ponzi scheme situation but uh so so women often more frequently the the, the perpetrators uh, men, though, stole more than the women on average. The most common uh, victim was a financial type of an institution. Uh, oh, really? It makes sense. You know, okay. where, why'd you, uh, why'd you steal? Why'd you rob the bank? Well, that's where the money is, right? <laughs> right yeah, um, okay. That's right. a famous lie. Yeah. Um, and then government entities were the second most frequent victim. Right. Um, 
then you get into you know others, other categories, nonprofits and and religious organizations, oftentimes for victims because you just the controls were non-existent or very very weak. Yeah, and so it was a very uh, it was a cool way of sort of breaking it down, looking at. It. I also looked at it geographically, where there are some states that were more likely than others. Vermont, for from some crazy ass reason, became a uh, lots of lots of stealing in Vermont. Lots huh? of stealing in Vermont. Well, Vermont yeah. has the highest per capita of nonprofits, and they're oh, like okay. the third oh. category. Right? Yeah, lots of oh. lots of little mom and pop family run businesses. Mm-hmm. And okay, category. And lots of little municipalities, which are you know thinly controlled. So, so I think for that reason, and though you got this sort of trusting environment, so maybe that's why uh, Vermont became, was always <laughs> at the top of the list. I want so you mentioned trusting environments, and Greg and I have talked about this on a lot of episodes, especially as it relates to, as you point out, like we we did a whole episode on religion and fraud, for example, uh, but we've also talked about small businesses. And, you know, the overall kind of takeaway or the big takeaway that we talk about every time is like people just want to trust each other in these kind of small organizations. And that's what leaves them so vulnerable. Like over the course of your career, has has that changed at all? It just feels like this is something that our our, our human characteristics just won't let us be kind of objective and sober about it. Like if we're doing business with family or if we're doing business with friends or if we're in a small community in a tight knit community, we don't want to trouble people with internal controls and really (laughs) elaborate kind of bureaucracy when it's not needed. And that is what leaves people vulnerable and exposed. I mean, has that over the course of your career, have you seen that change at all? Not really. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, th- you're exactly correct. <laughs> it, it is. We w- I think it is. And there's also a certain amount of it's, it's both societal sort of um, wanting to get along and go along and not ru- ru- ruffle feathers or, or create a ways, but also sort of, you know, a little bit of laziness. You know, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. So I'm dealing with my brother-in-law, you know, whatever. He would never steal. Uh, or right, right. It's, a, it's in a church. I mean, look, uh, you know, Madoff abused, basically, the, you know, it was a Jewish um, community that he was in. And he almost he created this sort of aura that, oh, I'm, I'm investing with you know, Bernie Madoff and, you know, mm-hmm. oh, well, he only takes certain clients and it made it, to the, it was both, you know, getting the Louis Vuitton bag, bag, but, you know, at the same time, he really focused in a community, a lot of Ponzi schemers, you know, and, and you to, you're in Utah, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. The Mormon, we got the Mormon church and other groups yeah. where they focused in a religious order and you there's an immediate trust factor that yep. goes along with that and as a result so your guard is down they're never going to abuse the trust but they do mm-hmm. <laughs> so unfortunately yep. you yeah. have this element in in human nature also so on one hand you've got we i want to trust i want to believe people that i've come to know and you know and and things are going to be okay on the other hand, you have people who are willing to step over the line in the, under the right circumstances. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's like, okay, I got caught up in gambling and now I got to steal from my employer to keep that habit going. 
they're not thinking that rationally, obviously. Uh, or it's a drug addiction, or it's uh, I got a divorce situation, and now I gotta pay for the kid's cause because my ex is a jerk and he's not paying. Blah blah, you know. So they justify these yeah. things to do the bad thing that they wouldn't necessarily do. Yeah. Um, and then what I found, at least in the embezzlement situation, was that that over time, and that first of all, they see how easy it is. So you're sitting in the accounting department, uh, you're whatever, and <laughs> you're writing checks to an entity you created, and you know it's only it's nine hundred seventy-two dollars a month, you know, yeah. and yeah. it adds up over. And then they start doing something else, but but uh, but but they come to believe there's a whole psychology here that I think also yet to really been delved into the psychology of fraudsters and, and what's really going on in their mind. But, the, but I think they come to believe either A, for their disgruntled, you know, that they, they earn or that somehow they oh, are yeah. deserving of the, yeah. these ponies. They didn't get the raise they thought they were supposed to get. And oh, I'm just taking what's really owed to me. And those guys are walking away. They're in their beach house this weekend, and I'm pissed. I'm going to steal. I'm going to take this money, and I'm going to build my own pool, which they do. Um, or, it's, or it's almost even like what you were saying. It's like, I, I chose to come and work at this little investigation shop instead of working on Wall Street where I could have a home in the Hamptons. So my sacrifice deserves this bonus that I'm giving. I mean, it can be something as stupid as that that they could. They could yeah, well, I did it because it was more fun. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Well, I'm not, and I'm yes. not accusing you of embezzlement. Don't get me yeah. wrong. That's not what yeah, I'm trying yeah, to yeah. say here. But, uh, but I... So along with the trust stuff, here's the other thing, because and, and I'm and I'm sort of looking just for your permission to continue saying this on our podcast, because something that stuck with me from your podcast, you interviewed a guy, I'm pretty, pretty sure his name was Stephen E. Taylor, who was a district attorney in California. And at the very end of your podcast, you you were asking him, you're like, oh, so what can people do to not to not be victims of fraud so much? And he and he says, and the guy so intelligent had so much to say, did, did not seem to me to have too much of a sense of humor, and said very very uh, matter of factly, it's like you need to make sure everybody in the in the in the accounting department doesn't like each other. And and I re-listened to that episode, and you started laughing because you thought it was a joke, and he just continued going, absolutely make sure he didn't get, get this hyperbolic, but it's like they gotta hate each other. Make sure that you've got you know one Republican, one uh, Democrat, one anarchist, and uh, and a hippie, and then they'll all you know <laughs> that, that, kind of, that kind of thing. It's like they'll all want to throw each other under the bus as soon as they possibly can. So a, do you remember that? B, do you agree with that? Yeah, he, and he's a great guy. Um, uh, I I got to know him uh, over the course of that time frame, um, but. Yeah, I mean the, the the one of the basic rules, of course, to and again I go back. You're never going to get rid of it all. Mm -hmm. You can only dissuade people and and tamp it down, and hopefully catch things when they start happening earlier in the time frame, and don't let it go for twenty years. So, but the problem becomes when it's in, it's at uh, the church and you've got one bookkeeper. Mm -hmm. That's it. There's no other right. You've got a uh, you got some trustees or whatever uh, overseeing, but not really. You know, she, right, she right. puts together the numbers and it submits it. So there's no check and balance. So, yeah, in a in a bigger organization, absolutely, you want to have those checks and balances. You want to have different people handling different aspects of the cash flow, 
and uh, limits on how much things, you know, how much, how big a wire can, so, you know, how big a check can be cut, etc. And having dual or multiple signatories, those, those kinds of checks and balances are very important. The other thing that I think is really important is the, at least the appearance of, of uh, oversight. Uh, mm-hmm. actual oversight, meaning, okay, we're going to be in here, we're going to audit every quarter, whatever, every three years. But then you know it's coming. So yeah. having these random audits and having it really go very, dis, you know, without warning. And right. at least that having that threat over the over the top. And, and actually, you have to, in order to have that threat exist, the appearance of oversight, you have to actually do it in. So you might have mm-hmm. a random audit and whatever purchasing. The, then you're going to do it over here and and some other department sales, whatever, and just so so that the work comes on down from on high that this organization takes fraud seriously. Uh, mm-hmm. We we don't it, you know, and you're going to get prosecuted, and thrown you know, thrown out on your ass which is a whole nother thing it used to be in the old days companies were loath to turn it over to prosecutors because they didn't want to be embarrassed but right. think of nonprofit where you yeah absolutely. you're asking for monies from mm-hmm. you know your donors and then all of a sudden you're hit you know somebody stole three million dollars over the course of the last 12 years in there right. in your bookkeeping group you know what that does to your whole fundraising and the whole yeah. reputation it's devastating Absolutely. So, so, and but again, very light on the controls, right? It's a nonprofit, almost mm. by definition. You just, you know, and, and you got board members who are believers in the cause, whatever that might be. Not, yeah. not, not moguls in in accounting and finance, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so the oversight tends to be light. They tend to be victims. Uh, I, I wrote articles about nonprofit embezzlement cases, and it's just legion. Yeah. Uh, so, so anyway, you, go, so, go. well, another thing I got to ask you about while I got you, because you because you really put this on my radar, and it's missing from other from other sources about uh, fraud, because you you really emphasized regularly the impact of gambling as as a pressure for people to embezzle and i and and it and so i locked in that i think i want to say at one point and again it might have been in your podcast so i think you were just kind of off the hip going that in your experience and again please correct me if i'm wrong but you said something like in your experience like a third of the people that that you caught embezzling had some kind of gambling history does that sound right or am i that sounds a little high um okay i can't remember the exact, but but the answer is yes. I mean, that was one of the factors. I I didn't do it initially. Uh, I kept adding these little f- factors. Was was gambling? A, you know, I put a gambling category in the last few years when I was doing this analysis, and it was it surprised the hell out of me. But you know, it's logical that there you know a fair percentage. Uh, yeah. I can't remember. Maybe it was ten or twelve or whatever. It was a lot. Seemed That's to be a, big a lot. Percentage, yeah. A high percentage of people who were embezzling had gambling problems, and they get be over their skis, right? They get over their yep. skis. They, they've already mortgaged the house, a double mortgage, etc. And uh, and they start stealing, right? And and this uh, this I saw as a I saw 
uh, what I thought was a direct link. There was a there was some cause and effect in in the gambling uh, issue. So uh, you you we were talking before Greg about you know whether or not you know should companies outlaw or not outlaw they, you know we're, I think it'd be really difficult to say you know no gambling rule at this company you know right. how do you enforce it and how do you catch it and whatnot it's it's tough but. I think more recently, uh, you know, it, I mean, it's recognized as a as an addiction. You can uh, you can become addicted to this to gambling, and it can really have devastating effects on communities uh, and companies that uh, that fall victim to that. And uh, and looking for those signs, looking for the warning signs when somebody gets into trouble, and trying to help them before it becomes a real problem for them and you is what I think is important. We, you know, you think about that also with people, when you have other traumatic incidents that happen, you want the company should take some, have some role in trying to help that employee. Even you know, when you're doing a mass layoff, you know, helps help these people rather than having a bunch of disgruntled people that might take, you know, they're going to steal your uh, technology. They're going to do something, whatever, uh, nefarious against the company, or they're going to post nasty thing, nasty grams all over the place. You know, do do the right thing here. You're gonna you, some of these people will work for you for a long time. You're gonna they're laying off these people, or one person you're laying off, even if they did bad things, and you're laying them off for cause. You want you don't want them to be fixated on you as the enemy, somebody that they would come back and do harm. You see this in workplace violence situations, right? Hmm. So. So it's a little counterintuitive because, yeah, okay, we're helping this person that just stole from us or whatever. Right. You know, okay, let's work out a restitution plan. Let's figure, you know, let's figure it out. And they can't pay you back or whatever, you know. If, <laughs> you know, it's it, it's a tough situation. So I, I was just Absolutely. saying earlier, the point was in the old days, people didn't report these things to law enforcement nearly as much as they do now. And I tell every client or any time in this situation, you gotta, you gotta prosecute because a lot of the work we do is vetting executives in key roles, whether mm-hmm. it's a mergers and, you know, you're buying a company, you vet the top five people or you're financing a company. You're going to vet the whole company and the, the key officers and directors in those circumstances, you know, uh, if I don't, if, 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 if it's not reflected in the public record or we can't, we're not allowed to interview and talk to people, you're not going to find out necessarily if it was something that got swept under the rug. So somebody in finance that steals and they swept under the rug and, oh, you know, we're not going to report this. We're not going to prosecute. They go on and do it again. Right. Yeah. At yeah. The next company. So absolutely. This episode of Oh My Fraud is sponsored by the South Carolina Association of CPAs, also known as SCA CPA. Hey, Caleb, you know I love diving into a juicy fraud case with you, right? But check this out. There's a place where accountants get together and talk shop and share knowledge about everything accounting related, including stories about untamed financials. Oh, tell me more, Greg. At every single one of my state CPA society events, there's a mountain of practical insights and experience. You get to meet other accountants, share knowledge, and even hear some firsthand accounts of financial intrigue. And here's the kicker, Caleb, you'd be hard pressed to find a better place for networking. 
I joined My State Society as an undergrad during the depths of the Great Recession, and before I graduated, I had multiple job offers, all from firms that I connected with through My State Society. Hey, that all sounds pretty good, Greg, but what else does a state CPA society bring to the table? Uh, they bring lifelong professional friendships, networking that'll turbocharge your career, and leadership opportunities. And on top of all that, your state CPA society is an unwavering advocate for you and for the profession. State CPA associations keep their fingers on the pulse of the constantly shifting business, regulatory, and legislative landscapes to keep you on the cutting edge and to protect the CPA profession. And as you know, protecting the profession means securing your livelihood. And hey, wherever you're tuning into the podcast from, be it the Palmetto State or some other state with a lamer nickname, there's a CPA association in your corner ready to ignite your accounting journey. If you're ready to find out why CPA Association membership is for you, head on over to ohmyfraud.promo slash SCACPA. That's ohmyfraud.promo forward slash SCACPA. So I want to ask you about something because you just said in the old days, a lot of this stuff didn't get reported, um, didn't become prosecuted. I kind of in that same spirit of that is how important are whistleblowers and how integral are they to discovering fraud versus say early in your career? Has, has that changed over time? I think it has. Uh, yes. And I think it's critical. Uh, whistleblowers are key. And now, I mean, we see in the news today. So, so what could be the most massive political fraud situation going on if, if true, right? But but uh, and there's also potential abuse of whistleblowers, and then you've got a whole cadre of lawyers who are focused on these key tam whistleblower statutes that they use to get companies to respond to. Mostly, I think by and large for positive results, positive you know reasons. Companies doing something wrong, whatever. There's a problem with the the gasket on the vehicle and you know these issues dropped and everybody needs to be made whole or something bad was going on in the company and now they need to fix it and there's ultimately uh you know maybe there's a uh, <clears throat> some trustee that gets brought in a monitor that gets that's brought in to oversee for the next 5 years and they got to pay monies to the victims etc so yeah, having this the whistleblower statutes and protecting those whistleblowers from retaliation, I think, is critical, uh, so that they can come forward. And again, I you know I always been an advocate. I wrote an article back in the early or the late eighties about you know, hotlines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a long time ago. Yeah, uh, that how important they were in the overall sort of HR employee thing. Where we want to be able to report anonymously, you know, th- bad things that are going on. Because if you don't hear about it, then it just but it just continues to fester and get worse. Uh, somebody's abusive in the workplace, uh, sexual harassment's going on, or whatever out in the branch office, stealing's happening, etc. So those things need to be need to come to the fore quick as quickly as possible. So it's in the company, in my generally in the company's best interest to encourage that to come forward and, and they've most large companies have you know a well-defined whist- whistleblower um, process that hopefully you get it before it becomes a litigated whistleblower 
case mm-hmm. um, where people are, are, are where it really becomes serious. So yeah, well, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act situations, uh, which are being prosecuted a lot more these days than they once were. All of these things are important to bring to the fore. So Caleb, I, I think it's you're right. It, it, it's important that you ha- you allow people to come forward with information. You then you got to run it down. You've got to do an internal investigation and figure out well how you know is this true? Are there elements to this true? And if they are, you've got to make corrective action uh, and demonstrate those corrective actions, and so that the organization as a whole you operate positively, upbeat, treat your people right, all constituents, whether not just customers, not just uh, your shareholders, but the employees or a whole constituency, that if you're not treating them right, and I've seen cases time after again, you know, where you got big high turnover employees, you're gonna have, you're just gonna have massive problems with people doing stuff that uh, are not in the, co- the company's best interests. So, Treat your treat the employees right and give mm-hmm. them some outlets is a critical role in uh, keeping the company clean, as it were. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're. I want to make sure we got enough time to cover this because I this is this may be my the thing I want to ask you more than anything else. And and really, this goes back even to the to your uh, to the Marquet reports on embezzlement. Um, what it, just thinking back through your career, through all the research that you've done on frauds, just in general, you're you're a fraud aficionado. We we like to consider ourselves fraud enthusiasts. Uh, what what are some of like the like what are some of the cases like maybe two or three tops of the cases in your mind that were like these were some of the most interesting frauds that were perpetrated that I that are on your radar. What what would you do? You have anything that to to throw out like juicy ones? Uh, well, they're the obvious ones. I mean, today in the news, you've got uh, Elizabeth Holmes going to jail, finally. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was an interesting case. And here you had this phenom female executive that everybody was willing to go along with. And again, nobody really willing to come for. I mean, there were a few voices, uh, but nobody really <laughs> willing to buck the trend and say, "Hey, there's nothing behind. There's nothing here." Yeah. Right? And it gets to the point where you know, you, you know, it becomes a whatever publicly traded ent- company, and and all these investors are defrauded in this day and age, right? Mm. No less. Um, yeah. So now, is that it, something when when you do like the vetting of executives? Is that part of like? I, I don't know if there was much to vet with Elizabeth Holmes, but that's part of what you're talking about is you're trying to make sure that people aren't getting into those positions that 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 would be, you know, where there's red flags already that this might end up end poorly. Correct. So so the best predictor of the future is the past, but it's not always, you know, if, even if the past isn't predicting anything, that doesn't mean something can't happen in the future. So right, if you're seeing right. somebody, if you if we put her under a microscope back in 2000, whatever, four or five, whenever she, you know, she drops out of Stanford and, you know, there were, you know, there were little indicators of, of somebody who liked to fluff things up uh, yeah. perhaps, uh, but it depends on how deep you're going. So right. obviously if there's cases, litigation, disputes with prior business uh, partners, etc., those are the things that you want to look, pull out. Uh, maybe a bankruptcy of a company or there's a dispute with a share, you know, your old business partner. 
that would might have direct bearing on how you advise certainly obviously criminal stuff it doesn't come up you know if i'm vetting a new director of a publicly traded company there's not going to be generally there's not going to be a criminal shit situation in their yeah, right other than right. traffic file maybe a d <laughs> yeah. right yeah 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 uh so yeah. It's the other elements of your how, how well do you work well and play well with others? You know, the companies that you were involved in in the past, how did they fare? You know, did you, you know, were you seen as somebody that was objective and et cetera? All, the, all those sort of less tangible elements that might show, you know, this is this is a good candidate to sit on our board or this to be the new CFO. You know, they, they got their licensing, never had a complaint, et cetera. All these things that uh, you want to, dig into and and try to give the client a better feel for better comfort level as to who they're getting into bed with, uh, whether yeah. it's a hiring situation or it's an acquiring situation or whatever. So yes. And with the Elizabeth Holmes, there, I, I think there were things, but she was a youngster, right? I call yeah. her yeah. So right out of, you know, she didn't finish college. So she's whatever, yeah. 20, 21 years old. Yeah, the youngster, she didn't, and she didn't have time to make up a fake product prior to this. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so <laughs> you know, are you interviewing people? But as time, so she start the company, whatever, and things go along, and there, I think uh, there was some turnover there. So these are the kind of people you want to identify. If you know down the road, you're uh, you're you're going to acquire this company, let's say, uh, and. You want to try to identify these people. Why did you, you know, so why did you leave? You know, some people aren't, aren't going to be willing to talk either for legal reasons or they just, they don't want to get involved. Others will, or they'll talk anonymously. Okay, fine. So you're going to be a source and uh, we're not going to attribute this to anything, but to, to, so that I can then advise the client, okay, this is what happened in this circumstance, that, 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 yeah. whatever. So they, yeah. and then, you know, I'm going to try to advise the client, you know, best from what I'm seeing. And uh, hopefully they'll make a decision that's help. It's good for them and for everybody. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So that that's a case where you want to vet people deeply, trust but verify. Right. People yeah. say mm -hmm. stuff all the time. You look yeah. at a resume. I wrote another article. It's been out there for decades. <laughs> the top ten resume lies. Oh, uh, nice. Which keeps bubbling back. You know, you people lie about their their education all yeah. the time. They lie about their you know their credentials, their certifications, and all this stuff. You know, they leave they'll, they'll fill in a gap. You know, where they were uh, sitting right, at home right. in the basement. Uh, you know, just, <laughs> so they expand the dates of employment. You know, all kinds of stuff that you want to yeah. try to. You know, we try to suss that out when we're doing digging deep into an executive right. and bringing those issues forward so why did you leave well they actually spent two years in jail that during that time for i had actually had a case like that where the where uh senior executive company was being acquired uh, you know very successful company but back in his college days he was dealing large sums of uh drugs uh and went to jail for a short period of time relatively. okay uh but that came out uh yeah and they lied about it. Right. Hobbies and interests when people are like, I love reading Dostoevsky. Bullshit. Nobody likes reading Dostoevsky. That kind of stuff, too. 
Well, so we're not, you know, we're not psychologists. <laughs> right. Okay. I mean, there are right. firms that do these questionnaires for prospective employees and they try to get a profile and whatnot. right. Right. I had to take yeah. one of those ones. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was so they, very, I was very nervous. I didn't know what they're going to find it. Yeah. What you're crazy. Am I answering this one? I think they should, Right. Do they think they should do it or am I answering right. what I really feel? Right. Yeah. Right. So is, uh, am I going to, am I going to not give this job and somebody's going to diagnose me as bipolar? I, what's happening here? I don't know. <laughs> I don't understand the purpose of this. That's so, right. Um. So, so uh, can you dig back to the, to the Marquet report days and, and think of an embezzlement case that was like a real, like one that you went, wow, that was a, that was juicy. That was a good one. Well, actually, so there, there's a gazillion of those. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, most, and in, interesting in embezzlement is usually a solo guy, solo perpetrator. It's not a conspiracy of people getting together, and it ha that does happen where somebody in purchasing has got somebody on the outside. They're cutting checks and they're sharing mm -hmm. the proceeds. But more often than not, it's a single person within the organization that's taking advantage of their position. And uh, so the conspiracy cases just aren't aren't as frequent. I was thinking of actually a case I got involved in back in my crawl days. Uh, I was down in South Florida. It was a rental car company that was being acquired by a Japanese, large Japanese company. And and so the, the, this rental car company is not, not a big name or anything, but it was down regional in uh, in Florida. They It was a family-run business, and uh, they <laughs> basically treated it as their own little personal piggyback. And, and they defrauded. They, they did a lot, a number of people ended up going to jail, but this is a case we were doing the, there was a, a post facto situation. Japanese company had acquired them and now things started coming out and the numbers weren't right and this and that. And so they like, what the hell's going on down there? So we, uh, we got brought in to do this essentially an internal investigation. And it was just one thing after the next that these guys were doing. I mean, they inflated the, they would inflate the, the you know the repairs on vehicles or the gas price of the gasoline that that, that they, for people that bring it in oh it's instead of uh, you know seven dollars and twenty five cents it's nine dollars and thirty two cents and they would keep the rest you know one thing after that they were they cooked the books and again this this goes back to that earlier situation where they had ex, ex employees legion throughout South Florida and when I interviewed tons of them and everyone would say every time i go to do an interview they'll like, yeah i want to talk. I, I hate that company yeah i would talk they would bring up some other issue that they that was going on <laughs> harassment in the work violence threats uh wow. discriminating in employment uh, situation uh you name it they were doing it and uh the biggest thing being that they had defrauded the the acquirer on you know how much reserves they had so we so we had the the forensic accountants were involved and i got tipped off on this by somebody who was in the finance department who had an ex-employee so we were new to look for it and sure enough they were they had inflated the reserves so that it looked like the value of the company was more than it actually was yeah 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 uh, so people went to jail these these this family this group of family folks you know bunch of them went to jail and there was a lot of crazy other stuff that happened there uh yeah florida am i right well <laughs> florida man friday right <laughs> right yeah. this is back in the day so the, but this that the kids are so fast it just keep morphing it kept, kept growing mm -hmm. every, every yeah i probably did 100 interviews of Jeez. different uh, former employees down in south florida 
And uh, it just was, I was just like, you know, I'd come back in, I'd come in at the end of the day. So I got the forensic accountants in this corner and the other, you know, investigators. <laughs> I said, hey, what do you got, Chris? Said, You're not right. going to believe this. But they said so and so was doing yeah. this in the workplace yeah. and, you know, brandished a gun and did the, you know. Jeez, what? I mean, just. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That was that was one of the funnest, weirdest cases ever. Where Uh, your wife is like, please tell me about your day at work. That kind of that kind of feedback. I was in California. We were I was based in California at the time. I went down there. So I'm calling. I'm like, you're not (laughs) right. (laughs) Right. There's a lot there were a lot of cases, like a lot of interesting things that have happened to me over these years, you know, death threats, you know, contract. People threatened your life? Oh yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. Like so, bu- public corruption cases, uh, international okay. cases where uh, gotcha. Latin American whatever. Yeah, the Yakuza crime syndicate was like, uh, "Hey, you need to back off of uh, <laughs> of our of our car dealership in Florida, or else there's going to be." <laughs> yeah, I, it was a mob case in New Jersey. That yeah, uh, huh. New Jersey uh, casino business case. Uh, yeah, oof. So again, Chris, it sounds pretty sexy. I'm just saying this all sounds pretty sexy. <laughs> I mean, the case, the, the facts are sexy. Yes, the you know, yeah. you know the acts of digging in and <laughs> right. can sometimes be a little monotonous. All right, you're in okay. the basement. Okay. You're in the basement of a dusty courthouse. <laughs> looking at it. So right. that was the old days. Yeah, yeah. right. Of course, of course. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, looking back, I'm just curious. I'm I'm going to ask you to go deep here a little bit, but. Do you think, like, was there anything about your worldview before you started this work that suited you well to do it? And has, over the course of your career, has your worldview changed because of the work? So those are a couple of hard questions. That's a good, those are good questions, Caleb. I would say, you know, I think, you know, I was always kind of an analytical person just from my math science head. Mm -hmm. But I also, I think, was an inquisitive person. And always, you know, uh, you know, willing to look out, uh, outward. And uh, that was a critical, I think that's a critical factor. And being an investigator writ large, you know, a, a large definition investigator, you really have to be somebody that's, you know, you get a hold of the bone and you keep, you don't let go and you keep working it. Uh, and so, so that sort of inquisitiveness is, is a, I think a prerequisite, um, and willing to dig deep into a, a given case. And even when things look normal, it's gotta be, I mean, cause your tummy tells you something's wrong here or mm-hmm. there, right? Usually when your tummy tells you something, it's, you, you gotta listen to that tummy. And this is for everybody. Everybody has that tummy feeling sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, and I say listen to it because it's you're often correct in in your feel. Ah, this person just rubbed me the wrong way. You know, something weird here. So you got to dig. You got to dig into cases, and and uh, some oftentimes those are the linchpins that turn. You know, you find something that that really turns the the case. Um, and over time, so over time, did it turn turn me? Have I gotten more jaded in humanity? And you know, people steal all the time. A little, yeah, I think a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, yeah. you see, because I, I was shocked, you know, you look at the Ponzi schemers, these how brazen these people were. Uh, by the way, Ponzi schemers, 90% male. Yep. Right? Whereas the, the bezelers, two-thirds were female. Anyway, yeah. so. <laughs> well, and I, I got to say. I, I, I'm like, okay, you know, I've seen this before. Yeah, this happens. Um, 
a little shocking how often it happens i guess mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. i i feel like i mean again i so i it had been years since i had listened to your podcast but i re-listened to that Stephen e taylor episode before it pre to prep for this our podcast and 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 at the beginning of the podcast i can't remember exactly what you said but it was something like just remember our motto here on fraud talk at all times everywhere every business somebody's trying to screw you over something like that and i go yes. and now this now this guy's saying he's not jaded bullshit this guy's he doesn't realize how jaded he is all right okay all right so yeah <laughs> at, any, at any given time in any organization there's always somebody who's up to no good that's yeah. it that's, that's the one that's i was so good cool. i listened i, was really I heard cool. that too yeah yeah yeah. Oh, so, uh, yeah, I guess my only, my last, my last question, um, and I don't know, sorry if you kind of said something, if you already kind of touched on this, but like, is there anything about your work that still surprises you? Well, it sort of seems cyclical, right? Meaning, uh, the same characters keep popping up, even though they're different names. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and so like, I'll, I'll, I'll be examined. We'll examine a an executive and he'll have certain characteristics. And I say, I've seen this person before. Not really, mm -hmm. but I can then tell, I can tell the client that they do this and that, but, 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 yes, 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 yes. <laughs> really? Yes. I've seen this before. So it's sort of this thing that, you know, that it just keeps coming around and you can, you can, you can predict based on certain characteristics, you know, what, what people are like and, you know, their behaviors uh, based on, on, on characteristics. So yeah, that's, and, and it, I guess, I guess I shouldn't be surprised by it, but, uh, but it's uh, an interesting and fun thing that, uh, and I think a value that I bring to the clients is, yeah, I can tell that, you know, this, this industry in real estate, we got to be careful. Uh, <laughs> this type of person, <laughs> whatever. Right, right. You know, I've seen this before. Yeah. So yeah, it's now for it's forty years this summer. Woo. Yeah. Nice. Wow. Hard to believe. I'm not quitting. I'm not quitting either, man. Good. Good. Nice. So what is the plank constant? That's my that's my last question. Planks con planks constant. Yeah. I forget. Oh. Okay. Good. I yeah. <laughs> And I, I also looked that up and it, it's actually incomprehensible just what Google sent back. So, uh, awesome. Um, like I, I said, we have AI for now, right? That's exactly. Right. Yeah. We well, don't need my, physics. That's my next white paper is on, uh, Ooh. AI fraud. What's what, oh. what are the risks to, what are the fraud risks from AI from like nice. chat EBT or whatever? Yeah. So, Awesome. Well, and that, that leads me to, to just this, how, like, uh, how can people, like if people are interested in your past, uh, white papers and your future white papers, what, how can people follow you and how, what's the best way for people if, if they have needs of a fraud investigator to, to get a hold of your company? So I'd say, uh, go to, uh, Veritas, V-E-R-I-T-A-S-A-P.com. That's our firm. And, uh, I still have a Twitter handle of fraud talk. Is my Twitter okay. handle, which so I put nice. out stuff on embezzlement still to this day. Nice, I put out for big cases. Uh, okay. on my fraud, generally speaking, I do a little commentary on other things, but mostly the fraud stuff. So veritasap.com is where I can be reached. Excellent. And then, and and is Twitter the best place for people to go to to find uh, white papers and other things you published? Um, or LinkedIn, actually, I have them on my LinkedIn profile. Yeah, so you can okay. look up uh, Chris Marquet, uh, Veritas, and LinkedIn. And perfect. Uh, I've got a whole bunch of white papers that have been published on my LinkedIn profile. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Okay, very good, Chris. Right. Thank you. Caleb, thanks a million Greg. for. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, for us too. 
All right, that's it for this episode. Remember, if you don't hate everyone else in your department, then you're not really committed to preventing fraud. And also remember, earning three degrees in physics, economics, and philosophy is great preparation for a career, either as a fraud investigator or as a cashier at Barnes & Noble. If you want to drop us a line, uh, please do. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Send us an email at ohmyfraud at earmarkcpe.com. And Caleb, if people want to get a hold of you, uh, where can they find you out there in the internet? On Twitter at cnewquist and LinkedIn backslash 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 Caleb Newquist. Not three backslashes. I was just practicing saying the word. Right. It's a tough one. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Greg. You still on the internet or did you give it up? Gosh, geez, you know, social media is just falling off for me. So, uh, so re- I mean, feel free. Twitter, at Greg Kite. LinkedIn, I'm backslash Greg Kite. If you just search me, I'm Greg Kite CPA. But also, if you know, f- just send me an email, greg at gregkite.com. That'll get to my inbox. I'll see that pretty dang quick. So Old you know, school, cu- Greg. Old school. Let's cut out the middleman. Just, get, just come into my inbox. Oh, my fraud is written by... Greg Kite and myself, our producer is Zach Frank. If you like the show, leave us a review. Share it with a friend. It, that's how people find the podcast. All right? Yeah. Leave us a review. Do it. Write a review. Rate the show. And subscribe wherever you get podcasts. It's everywhere. If you listen to podcasts, wherever you listen to them, get the podcast at that place. It's, it's there. It's there. Do you, do you listen to Mark Marin? Same place. Same place. We're, we're there. Same place. Yeah. Uh, and for the accountants. Earmark, CPE, super duper. It's so good. So good, so easy. Yeah. I'm I'm racking them up this year. Yeah, you got a hundred? You got a hundred hours of uh no, CPE? No, but I'm I'm if I continue this pace by the end of my two year reporting period, I think I will have uh what would it be? A hundred it'd be hundred and twenty uh between 120 and 160 uh hours of CPE. Damn. Yeah. Well done. Yep, not bad. Join us next time for more avarice swindlers and scams from stories that will make you say, oh my fraud. Oh my fraud.